Dr. Me First. I'm your colleague in medicine and coach in life, Dr. Erin Wiseman, and this podcast and the work that I do in physician wellness is all about taking the culture of healthcare from a place of burnout, brokenness, and despair into one that is joy-filled, sustainable, and that you absolutely freaking love. That's right. And I'm so excited to have you here for another episode of Dr. Me First. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Siobhan Key. She is an amazing family medicine physician who is still delivering babies and doing all sorts of family medicine stuff and doing palliative care. And most amazingly, she is a weight loss coach specifically for physicians. She uses her obesity medicine information with her patients, but more importantly, she's serving us her fellow colleagues. So she's here today to talk a little bit about emotional eating. Dun, dun, dun. She mentions one of her past triggers as Wendy's fries. I'm so right there with her, especially the loaded ones. And we talk a lot about her journey and where she helps people. So listen to this conversation. It's bomb. It's a little bit long, but you'll want to stay through to the end and then stick around for that kick of encouragement. Here we go. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Siobhan Key. Thank you so much for being on here. And thank you so much for letting me butcher your name. I'm glad we had a good laugh before we jumped on this recording. Oh, thanks for having me. And like I said, butcher away. It has been butchered my entire life. Oh, I know. That's when I was naming my own kids. I'm like, okay, how can I not screw up their life right now by giving them a name that's not too terrible? I think I did okay with my boys. Catherine, I spelled a little bit differently. So God love her when she gets to school. But anyway, tell the audience a little bit about yourself, um, and we'll go from there. Sure. So I'm Siobhan Key. I'm a family physician in Canada, British Columbia, and actually Northern British Columbia. So we're like getting, I think this week our uh, morning temperatures are going to be below freezing, uh, which I'm not looking forward to. That makes me want Anyways, to barf. I know. Oh, it's like misty and damp and... I'm cold all the time now, but that's okay. That's good. Uh, anyway, so I'm a family physician. Uh, I'm an obesity medicine physician, and I'm a weight loss coach for physicians. And I'm the mother of three kids, double and lots of other things too. We do obstetrics, and I do some palliative care. So I, I like family practice because, and I chose family practice because I could do little bits of anything that interested me. I didn't have to like spend my days doing the exact same thing every day. You're like me. I'm a little ADHD and I need like those random shifts from like, oh, you're pregnant to, oh, okay, you're 85. Oh, we're going to do a five-year-old well child check. You know, that kind of thing. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I love having uh, just, uh, you know, yeah, a little bit of everything throughout the day and, and having the ability and family practice to kind of create areas of interest and build more knowledge like my obesity medicine stuff that I've done over the past uh, about four or five years uh, where, you know, it interests me, you see a need in your community and you can kind of start diving into it and build up more knowledge in that area and do more of that. You know, that's the thing. Recently, I've been talking with um, medical students who kind of don't know what they want to do, but kind of know what they want to, you know, that's that like 
tug, that struggle. And that's one thing that sometimes I advocate for them to think about family medicine because there are, like you said, there's so many tracks that if you see a need, you can plug into it without having to like do a whole re-education program because it technically stays within that scope of family medicine. So for those that I'm like, if you don't know exactly what you want to do, like family med could be a good thing for you because then you can find it and move on. Just in my residency program, I mean, I know several of the family med residents that I um, was training with, you went and did ER. One of them's doing uh, like a, he's doing a wound clinic specialty. Um, A couple of them went into like rural medicine or doing like country medicine like I am. I mean, I've transitioned now away and now I'm actually a medical attending at a Jerry Psych unit. So I mean, it really is. It's amazing how you can flux and change and God love neuroplasticity that we can learn new things. And, you know, I love the fact that over the course of our careers, it can change. Like, you know, right now I do obstetrics and do deliveries, but really like, you know, the being up all night and still working the next day is getting harder as I get older. And so I can see coming up at some point, I won't do that anymore. But then, you know, there's academic choices. There's, there's so many different things that who knows what I'll discover in in the future that I decide I want to do. Well, and that's what I give encouragement to people to be like, your practice is supposed to change. Like you're not going to grind and see a full panel of patients like you did in your thirties when you get to the end of your career, whatever Mm -hmm. age that looks like. Like, I, I guess I've seen that with doctors in my area as they're like nearing retirement, like pretty much all of their patients are, they're, they're a geriatrician. You know, that's what their yeah. practice kind of morphed into. With you and just, yeah. yeah, exactly. And I think that we don't give enough voice to that to be like, hey, you're going to change. Your practice is going to change. Like, allow it. Don't get so stuck in the mud to be like, oh, I always do this. I always have done this. I'm always going to do this. Because that's what I think when mm-hmm. people get stuck and static and really unhappy with what they're doing. Yeah, totally. And I think, like, I think that speaks to a really good point of the, if you're in practice and you're viewing that it can only be that, and you kind of only see it in the box that it's presented to you, it can feel overwhelming. But when you start to look outside of that box and you start to think, well, maybe I could do it a different way, or maybe I could, you know, take a half day to do something else. um, And really being so I'm speaking from a Canadian perspective. I know things are different, but in Canada, we're generally private practice. So really we're the masters of our own domain. Like we can run it how we want. I know it's a bit different for you guys, depending what situation you're in, but it, you can really think out of the box and make it so it actually works for you and you love it for your whole career. Yeah. So we were talking a little bit earlier and I would love how you've done Tell a story about how you've been a little bit outside the box and how you've kind of morphed and changed. Sure. So I think, um, I think it's, I started my career with being inside the box of a full service family physician. So like I started right out of residency, we did deliveries. I worked in the emergency room um, and I started doing palliative care consulting pretty early out of residency as well as working in the office. And, um, and that worked for me. Uh, through the years until I had started having kids. (laughs) And so I had twins and then uh, three and a bit years later, I had another, uh, a son. And um, after the son, like 
doing both obstetrical call and having emergency shifts on weekends and nights and stuff. It just didn't work anymore. So I had to start giving up stuff that even though I still love the medicine and still found it super fun when I was in the emergency room, I had to give that up. And then around the same time, I started to recognize that as a family physician, most of what I was seeing in my days or a large percentage of it was related to lifestyle and um, weight or obesity in some manner. So like, you know, all the hypertensives, all the diabetics, all the, um, you know, osteoarthritis is like, there's so many different things that you see in the course of a day that have something to do with lifestyle change or, or getting some form of lifestyle change would benefit them. And yet I realized that the skills I'd been taught in medical school didn't actually work. Right. Like in, in my medical school, again, this is different depending where you go, but we, I like, we were just taught people just need to eat less and exercise more. And I like to say like, not a single person in my first, I guess it would have been like eight years of practice actually came back and said, Hey, thanks for that fantastic advice. It worked so well for me. Right. You're right. I just needed to eat less and exercise more. Um, and so I started to get an interest in trying to figure out better tools and, and find more knowledge. And that's led me to the field of obesity medicine, which is interesting. When I first found it, I didn't even know it existed. So I was just like, I was Googling to try to find, it's like, there must be conferences about doctors like with weight loss. And so I was Googling and that's how I found the field of obesity medicine um, and started doing training in that and now have my obesity medicine certificate, which uh, here in Canada is outside of the box because uh, Canada doesn't have a recognized obesity medicine specialty. Mm. Uh, so there's very few of us in Canada that are actually certified in obesity medicine. Um, and I started doing work with patients, uh, which again, um, is it was a bit outside of the box and kind of pushed my, uh, like my comfort level a bit in that previously the physician sponsored weight loss programs in our community were more, um, a little more fad, fad diety supplementish type, uh, programs. And so I was kind of going up against that thought pattern when I put myself out there as somebody offering uh, weight loss support for patients. Uh, but I've really enjoyed it and I found it really satisfying to, it's a population of patients, people with obesity who really haven't had access to good support from the medical system and probably on the flip side, most have experienced bias in the medical system. And so being able to offer supportive care and good quality care, even though there's not, there's no like magic miracle fixes in obesity medicine, but I think there's a lot of power in just people feeling it's a topic they can discuss without being judged, without a mm -hmm. physician just kind of saying, we'll just eat less, exercise more. Um, and after I'd done that for a few years, I myself had struggled with weight. Um, and I, I had, uh, even when I was doing my obesity medicine training, I was still struggling with my own weight. So I was still, I'd lost some weight from my highest, but I would, uh, you know, have a busy office day as we all do and like just feel out of control with food choices afterwards. Like end up hitting the drive through on the way home and just feel, I felt totally powerless to be able to stop that. And so I started looking cause I was like, okay, so 
you know, just eating a lower carb diet, which is what I was doing and helped in a lot of areas, but it wasn't helping that. Uh, like, so it wasn't helping the, the, when I was totally stressed out, uh, stopping and fixing kind of what I was eating. And it, it wasn't totally helping all of my patients. Like what I would see is there'd be some people when we, uh, my weight management program I do is group medical visits using a lower carb approach. So some people would grab onto that lower carb approach and they would just run with it and they would do fantastic and they'd never look back. But then some people would, um, you know, not be able to start or they would start and then they'd struggle. And so I started to develop an interest in, in those, in that situation and partly develop that interest because it was me too. (laughs) Like I was doing the same thing. I had, really all the knowledge, right? Like I'd been doing my obesity medicine and yet I still hadn't figured out how to uh, stop myself. Girl, um, you're speaking my language. Yes. <laughs> and I think probably most of the audience out there is like, damn it, we know the knowledge, but why is the weight not coming? Which is such a great segue into your words, which are totally. emotional eating. And yeah. So I love, continue the story, but I just wanted to tell the audience that those are totally your words and that's totally where we're going to go the rest of this conversation. Totally. So that's where I was like, okay, there has to be better tools for this. And like in obesity medicine, we do motivational interviewing. There's a bit of CBT, there's that sort of stuff. And it helped and I was working on those skills, but I ended up coming into the life coaching field through that. Um, Because like really life coaching is CBT in a large portion of it, but it's also far more kind of practical type skills. And personally, through using the life coaching skills, I was able to just figure out and stop those habits and essentially not look back like nobody's perfect, but definitely have never experienced that degree of um, uh, like feeling just out of control and just feeling so perplexed by why my brain kept doing that to me. Um, And so I I started using those tools in my group medical visits and teaching my patients the the life coaching type tools of mindset work and working on how we think about food and how we think about weight loss, how we think about ourselves when we have extra weight, like all that stuff that's so important. Um, Because I really think, you know, if you're wanting to lose weight or you're wanting to help somebody lose weight, it like it just has to go beyond just a diet. And obesity as a medical condition is a complex physical um, thing, you know, like hormonally, and there's so many things going on. But for the things that are in our control within it, I'd say working on your brain is the number one biggest tool that you can use. Absolutely. So one of my good friends and fellow coach, Dr. Tracy Asamoah, she talks about how life coaching is like taking our brain, which is like this huge twisted knot of yarn and like Mm -hmm. slowly one piece at a time, like pulling and like unraveling and unraveling and like, oh, we got a little bit more loose until you finally like see it for what it is and get all kind of the knots Um, untwisted on this very complex problem. I'm the same way, you know, having seen people who, you know, again, school thought was eat less, exercise, move your body more, exercise more. In some people it does work, but for how long? And you're Mm -hmm. so right. It comes back to that, that brain 
that brain work. So I would love to hear um, more of what you're doing as far as when you're working with patients or in your own journey. Where did you start when it first came to the mindset work? So I started with, honestly, so my biggest struggle, like my sort of trigger food and the thing Mm -hmm. my brain would just obsess with was Wendy's French fries. So where I actually started was after the fact. So I'd be sitting, having gone through the drive-through, eating my French fries. And I started there thinking, okay, like, so here I am again. Um, But what was happening? Like, why am I here today? What, what are these French fries giving to me? Or like, what is my brain perceiving that they would give to me that started all those cravings and ended up with me here? And I think that, you know, building that awareness of, um, we all, like when we're dealing with weight loss, everybody wants to be perfect and they, everybody wants it to be like a switch, right? Like, okay, I no longer overeat or I no longer eat Wendy's French fries. And I would have loved to find that switch (laughs) for many years. I would have loved to find it, but really what it, I think the bigger thing is actually, you know, you're still doing the behavior, but you just start to build awareness because when you don't have the awareness, it feels like it goes craving behavior and there's nothing in between. It's just like the behavior has to happen if the craving comes. But the reality is, is there's a, there's stuff before the craving, like there might be thoughts about how, for me personally, what it was, it was usually thoughts along the lines of like, I'm so far behind. I have so much stuff to do. I'm never going to get my notes done, which would start making me feel like really panicked and anxious, which would then trigger a craving. And then between the, the craving and the behavior, there's thoughts, um, you know, like it might be thoughts like I have no choice but to eat the food or the only way to stop this this would be common for a lot of people and I had this too is the only way to stop my brain from doing this is to just go give in and eat the food and when you build that awareness and you can kind of like you said tease it out space it out instead of it being this little compressed package you can space it out and look at what's actually there then you have a chance of actually changing it Mm, yeah, so good. And yeah, that's exactly a great mindset work that gets people started. What keeps people going once they have that awareness to continue through on their journey? I think that number one is having, knowing why you're doing it, right? And weight, I think, is a really interesting spot to look at your why, because sometimes the why is not about you you know sometimes the why is about what you think you should do because of our society and um you know all the messaging we get about weight sometimes the why is about um you know self um self dislike or body image stuff and all of those whys when it's an external source or it's born out of you know dislike or I'd say there's probably, there's for a lot of people, it's stronger emotions than that. It often isn't a very sustainable um, path to walk. So finding the first step to keep anything going is finding a why that actually is for you and is born of a positive intention for you. And I always talk about like 
when you find a good why, it hits you here in your chest where you're like, yes, that's what I want for myself. And then if you find something that where you want it so much for yourself that it hits you in your chest, um, then that can get you through a lot of difficult stuff. You know, that can make it simple to make choices that may have in the past felt really difficult for you to make. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that so much. Yeah. There's nothing better than finding that like deep down why that just like makes your heart sing and your body tingle all at the same time. Totally. That's a great description. And I think, you know, for people listening, like if you're thinking, I don't have that why that's fine. Like you can start with some of the other whys, but I think keep asking yourself, why does this matter to me? Why is this important to me now? to find that why. And if you keep asking your brain a question like that, that's open-ended, you'll get answers. Mm -hmm. You may get frustrated in the meantime. I know sometimes <laughs> I have clients that are, they are like, do you know something I don't know? I'm like, no, I just keep asking the question. And we just keep going down a little further and a little further and a little further. And I said, eventually if you get to a place that you have no words, then the, the series of questions will stop. But you're right, if you keep asking, but what else? but why this time? Yeah. But what makes this so important? You know, those questions, then yeah, you do get down to the heart of the matter. And then you also dig up a lot of junk and a lot of beliefs that you've put on yourselves that are, that are not good for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think particularly with weight stuff, like there's so many negative beliefs and limiting beliefs. Um, and like you said, they're not good for you. Like if you're spending a lot of time thinking bad thoughts about yourself based solely on your weight, it puts you in a position where it's actually really hard to make change. Mm -hmm. um, versus if you can work, and I'm not saying this is easy because those thoughts are often really deeply ingrained, but if you can work on shifting those thoughts, so you view your weight as being a neutral thing, it's not a horrible, bad failure that you haven't managed to fix, that it, it it's just you right now and can shift some of your thoughts towards more neutral and more positive, then the change becomes easier to make because it's, it's not coming as a form of punishment for yourself. It's coming as a form of taking care of yourself or loving yourself or doing the right thing for yourself. You know, 2019 has been a good year for me to learn what actually self-compassion is. And I think mm. that's what a lot of, um, you know, yo-yo dieting for me, weight fluctuations up and down, inconsistent exercise patterns, because it was more based on like what you said, a punishment pattern, rather than what feels good for me and can be honoring to my body and where I can be compassionate to myself and move it in a way and eat it in a way that shows self-compassion rather than, um, you know, self-sacrificing. Yeah. And, you know, I love the term like the idea of compassion. And I often talk about compassionate curiosity because I think it's a whole different ball game of saying like, oh, why the hell did I do that? Versus saying, huh, like, I wonder why I did that, right? Like you'll get such better answers if you come at it from the compassionate standpoint versus the, like the blaming and the piling more stuff onto yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's so important too, that when you go into it with a compassionate mindset, then when you do dig up kind of those like 
dark underlying thoughts, dark underlying beliefs, things that when someone told you when you were six years old and you're still believing mm -hmm. it when you're 43 years old, then instead of those experiencing that, those pain of those memories and those triggering moments, you're already in a good place to be compassionate about them and then to really see them for what they were. You know, that yeah. you did not deserve that that was imposed upon you. And then, and then also having compassion for yourself to say, I don't have to hold to that anymore. I can, I can let that go. Cause that mm -hmm. wasn't mine to start with. I think it's a, it is, it's a super great place to come from. Yeah, it's huge. I do an exercise uh, with my weight management groups where we talk about identity and like, where did some of these things that we think are just pure fact about ourselves like uh, if we're using the weight example, a lot of people have carried the idea that they are the chubby one or that I'm an overweight person for many, many years. And so actually looking back and going, okay, where did that actually come from? Where did I learn that? Because all those identifying facts are just thoughts that we picked up at some point. And we've either like as a kid, if you're told them, you're so concrete when you're a kid, you just accept them as Oh, I'm the chubby one. Or we've thought them enough about ourselves that we're like, this is fact. Like it's just, it's always been around. So it's got to be true. And it's interesting to examine that kind of stuff. Yeah. Look at it. And that's where I think it's really good to come in with that flexible mindset because when mm -hmm. we're fixed, you can't change that because in your head, you're like, no, that's fact. That's what it is. And that's where I find a lot of people when they're so unhappy with their jobs and what they're doing, but then they just feel so stuck because it's like, well, I'm a doctor. That's what I do. Nothing else. This is how mm -hmm. it is. And that's when you can kind of see that change. And I bet you see that in your people too, when they flip and then they start saying, oh, what if, or, yeah. you know, I wonder, you know, that's those sort of statements. So I love that. So, well, like, I, I totally did that too. Like the fixed identity, like for years I was a family doctor and that's how I assumed it would always be and then when I started thinking about the coaching stuff and doing something that wasn't strictly family medicine it actually created a lot of anxiety initially because it was like challenging my identity of what what it means to be a family doctor um, and can you actually do stuff that's not being a doctor when you're a doctor Exactly. <laughs> like going on the radio on Tuesday afternoons. I do that now. And I've, it's been yeah. such a good thing. But that was one of my things that when I first even considered it, I was like, but does a doctor go on the radio on Tuesday afternoons? Like they should be seeing patients, right? And yeah. so it is amazing. Once you like get through that anxiety, once you start redefining your identity on who you are rather in, than what you do, uh, it gives you so much more freedom in this world. So, well, I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming and sharing your story for us starting to crack open emotional eating. We're definitely going to have to talk more about this because I know that it is an area point that probably almost all of us struggle with in some form or fashion, either current, past, or, you know, going into the future. And so if people are, have been really intrigued by this conversation, they're like, Ooh, I need some Dr. Key in my life. Where they, can they come hang out with you? So I have a podcast called uh, the Weight Solutions for Physicians podcast. And so I put out episodes weekly that cover these types of topics uh, with a focus, like really the focus is, you know, what to do, but also how to get yourself to do it. 
is how I describe it. And then I'm, my website is weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca or you can email me at info at weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca. Love it. We will have all that in the show notes. We'll make sure that we get it distributed so everybody can come flood and check out another podcast because who does not love adding another one to their queue to listen podcasts to? Podcasts are fantastic. They are. They're so good. I, I love it. I love my audience. I love having you on as a guest and all of my other guests. And I just so appreciate you today. Excellent. Well, thanks for having me on. It's been a lot of fun. so much Dr. Key for coming on Dr. Me First for sharing your story and those pearls of wisdom. All right now time for your kick of encouragement. Are you ready? Here it is. You are not stuck. Let me say it again. You are not stuck. Be it your medical practice, be it your life, be it in a relationship, be it in your family, be it in a location, be in anything, your weight, how you feel about yourself, your exercise routine, your sleep, your call schedule, your children, you are not stuck. I want to empower you to know that you are in charge of your life and therefore you can make changes in your own life. And I think this is just a testament hearing Dr. Key's story. If you've heard about my story, about many other of the guests who've been on Dr. Me First, I just want to remind you, you are not stuck. You today can start taking steps and moving in a direction of where you want to be. No, you're not going to be there immediately. You're not even probably going to be there this week. But you can start course correcting and going in that direction. So where do you feel stuck right now? In what ways do you feel stuck? Really get in and identify what you're feeling, what makes you feel that way, what triggering events or what something is happening or said to really key into the stuckness. Because a lot of times we get focused in on the stuckness and we can't seem to see beyond that. And then the next thing what I want you to do is figure out What's the desire of your heart? What do you really, really want in life? And it can be as simple as what I said five years ago. I want a job that I don't have to take a vacation from. I don't care what it is. I want that. So let me tell you, make it simple. Look inside yourself and decide and see what is that desire in your heart? Because it is absolutely attainable. You are a badass fucking amazing woman or man. And you can do this. You've already done so many great things in your life. You've already marched a path that few others have. You are not stuck. Let that sink in a little bit. And let me know if there's ways that I can help you. Let me know if you've gotten out of a stuck position and you want to tell your story. Let me know if you're ready to take an extra commitment to getting unstuck. And how I'd encourage you to do this is join me. I've talked about in almost every episode now in the Dr. Me First Mastermind. These are the exact things that we're going to be tackling together in community, in connection, together, telling our stories, working through problems, because I don't care who you are. I don't care how beautiful your Instagram is. We are all just trying to figure it out. So why not do it together? 
So get in the show notes, check out the Dr. Me First Mastermind. You still have a few weeks to get signed up for it. If you want to start your coaching early before January, that's absolutely an option. And I would love to get things kicking off right. If you want to wait and start in January 2020, that's great too when the whole group sessions start. I just want to remind you, you are not stuck. And if you've been waiting for your wake-up call, this is it. You can do it, and I'm there for you. And remember, your life, your calling, your pulse matters.